can I describe what I had for dinner? Please. I had samosas, which were so good. Avocado, which is always a great side meal. And then most importantly, and perhaps most surprisingly, for dessert, which is not a thing I usually say. You didn't do it. No, you didn't. Do you want to know what I had for dessert? No, you didn't. I had sex in a pan. No way. I sure did. Did you share it with someone? Did I have sex in a pan with someone else? (laughs) Yeah, hopefully you weren't alone. I had sex by myself in a pan. (laughs) Isn't that called sex with a pan? (laughs) (laughs) I had sex with a pan. (laughs) Okay. And it was good, apparently, because you're smiling. You know what? It was good. So after, by the way, it's good to see you. We didn't actually record an episode together last week. Yeah. Like I was sort of there in spirit though, right? You were literally physically there for parts of it. I I heard you come down to like check on your mom, make sure everything's going well. It was a great, it was a great episode last week. By the way, people listening, if they haven't already, go check out last week's episode. It's really fun. I interview Jamie's mom. I wouldn't say interview, like I never had questions prepared, but it was just a conversation. Yeah. Honestly, like this might like I don't know if this is gonna come off as offensive or presumptuous. But I've always kind of wanted my mom to meet you properly because I'm always talking about all this stuff that I'm doing with you, whether it's recording a podcast or playing a video game. Yeah. That we spend, I take up a lot of your time in the week. Yeah. And honestly, like it could seem like you are my COVID manifestation of something or other. Right. Like an imaginary person. Yeah. Like you're my figment that I'm using to cope with the utter isolation of the pandemic. Just to pretend to your mom that you have someone to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm with Anthony again. <laughs> yeah. Like, and she's like, okay. Yeah. We get yeah. It. Like my garage boys aren't here, mom, but I got Tony on the computer. You literally just opened up the name dictionary at A and made up a name. <laughs> yeah. No, obviously I picked a derivative name of my favorite fictional television character oh your friend's name is also tony we get it yeah yeah we get it exactly no mom but he's disabled and really cool and very funny yeah and he lets you do tony soprano impressions all the time yeah yeah and he plays rock league without judging you right okay yeah yeah i'll have to meet this anthony one day no kidding like you could you could not invent a more platonic ideal of an imaginary friend you weirdo (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so i wanted her to talk to you because also she's always like she has always been in the periphery of us doing stuff and she'll be like hi tony how's jack and then you guys never have more of a conversation than your cat status and so i was like okay mom you have to meet anthony and realize that he's like really funny and that i'm not crazy and you know like a good person and so she i like how i put really funny before good person I appreciate that, honestly. I'd rather be funny than a good person. (laughs) Well, I think to be truly funny, there has to be some good in you. I don't think so. I guess, I suppose Anthony Jeselnik would be counter proof of that notion. Although, I don't think think he's he's probably a good person in real life. The the best part about him is his first name is Anthony. The rest of him is trash. (laughs) I hate that guy. Anyway, I I think it's I I do appreciate his joke writing for sure. 
I like the, the roller coaster that it takes you on. But anyway, continue. He's so silly. He'll start a sentence like, so I went to the abortion clinic the other day. <laughs> da, da, da. Punchline about abortions. And you're like, oh, that's supposed to be edgy. No, Good but that's job, the thing. Is usually when he does that, the punchline isn't about abortions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. He's like, I left because there was nothing on the TV in the waiting room or something <laughs> stupid. Like, I don't know. That guy sucks. <laughs> How did I get on Anthony? Oh, yeah. Because I'm talking about you. Yeah. We're just still in the A dictionary. <laughs> So my mom had a chance to meet you. And you know, the curious thing is that I listened like uh, to the edit and it's the first time I ever heard my mom like shy when talking to a friend of mine or a fellow peer of her son. You think she was shy? I think she was shy. Yeah, I think she was like, she thought that she had to really bring her like conversational a-game to the situation and i think also she was worried about not understanding you which i told her like like that's not a thing do not worry about that at all yeah i did speak in italian a few times but it's just a habit she's familiar with like jersey italian like she knows gabagoo and uh Yeah, yeah you know yeah yeah, so you're occasionally not distinguishable, but I I thought that you'd be like you know at least polite around her, and you and you were, or at the very least funny. Yeah, of course. Yeah, bare minimum funny. Right. So it was a nice conversation. I, I'm actually curious. So you asked me to do this, right? I did. You were, you were like, "Hey, do you want to do an episode with my mom?" And I was like, immediately, "Yeah, sure. Give me some time to like figure out." what my angle is going to be, like how I'm going to approach it. Is it that I'm interviewing your mom? Is it that I'm talking to someone who raised a couple of disabled kids? You know, there's a couple of ways I could approach it. For sure. And having not really talked to your mom, like you said, I wasn't really sure what the conversation was going to be like. So I was a little bit anxious to make sure that I had good conversation topics. And also, I didn't want it to feel put on and stuffy, right? For sure. But I was curious. Um, I didn't really ask you this beforehand because I didn't want to limit what I thought would be a good conversation between the two of us. What were you trying to get out of it? Like, what was not even get out of it, but what did you have in mind would happen? I think that my mom would offer a perspective on disability that would be sort of like unburdened with a lot of overhead like my mom is a like a pretty insightful person and very sharp and caring but i don't think she's overly neurotic about having raised two kids with cp no and so i know that whatever perspective she would have to offer would be her perspective and it wouldn't be uh saddled with a bunch of platitudes or impressions I, i'm not sure if i'm expressing this properly yeah no it, it was very unbridled right it was um raw you could tell that it was just second nature to her to describe you and then all of my questions about disability made her think a bit more because it wasn't something she actively always thought about which i think was great and i said this to her very similar to how my parents think. Yeah, and I think the fact that she doesn't overthink it 
has really helped my sister and I be more well-rounded individuals because she's not a helicopter parent. Despite how much I talk about my parents, I think that they are quite hands-off in the most important ways. She is an active and persistent presence in my life in a lot of ways maybe that she shouldn't be, you know, just by the necessity of my needs. But But at the same time, you're literally sitting there while we record eating a cookie that presumably she gave you. So you benefit from that too. A little bit. (laughs) There's no way the sounds of cookie consumption are unpleasing. Yeah, nobody wants to listen to the sound of another person chewing. Tony, if I was chewing raw vegetables, I get it. I hope she wasn't too nervous. Like we... It didn't feel, from what I was saying, I guess, obviously, you know her better, but it didn't feel like she was nervous or her answers didn't feel constrained. I mean, you just have to kind of see the way that she acts when when my regular circle of friends come by. Her favorite thing to do is to kind of like um, tease them and get under their skin a bit and like, you know, quiz them. How are things going in their lives? Like, you know. But that's also just because... Like, she's known them for a long time. No, I know. But she de- she definitely has a kind of sardonic strain of humor. Right. And it's really funny. And I was hoping that she would... I was hoping that she would challenge you a bit. But yeah. I think it's going to take a couple more conversations to get to that point. But I think that, you know, after the interview, she she kind of came up to me and said... She wasn't sure if she had given all the answers that you were looking for. And I was like, well, he wasn't really looking for anything. He just wanted to talk to you. Yeah. And then she said um, that you're very charming. <clears throat> and she meant it when she said it. So I think overall it was a really good thing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. The One of the most important things, perhaps, that came out of it. Well, two things. One is that you now need to start working on a Robert De Niro impression. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Because, as you heard, you will be played by Robert De Niro. Yeah, that, that came out of left field, I gotta say. I don't know where that's coming from. I agree. I was not prepared for it, but I was very excited about it. Yeah. It says a lot about what she thinks of you. Like, I was like, who should play Jamie? And she's like, only the best actor of all time (laughs) i think she was trying to say the irishman for like 20 minutes and it just wasn't coming out but although i mean it was definitely the blind leading the blind yeah for sure we were trying to who was in that movie i don't know (laughs) i haven't seen that movie yeah this is what we need jamie for what's going on here yeah yeah but the other great thing that came out of it was your mom's famous now even more so recipe for sex in a pan right did you use the chocolate pudding on top so i didn't make it but so i had a party on the weekend where we uh, all got together and watched eurovision what's eurovision it's like a european song contest where a bunch of different countries uh, have a band to represent the country to play a song it's like a contest. So what is this, like World Idol? Yeah. Is it hosted, hosted by uh, Ryan Seacrest? Uh, it's hosted by the country that won last year's. So last year, 
Italy won. Okay. And it the band that won is actually pretty famous now. <laughs> what, what? Okay. Sorry. So you're watching American Idol World Edition, and then right. what happened? And you all had sex in a pan. We all had sex in a yep. pan with each other. Yep. Because uh, one of our Patreon subscribers, shout out Megan, came to the party after hearing that episode. Major mom's sex in a pan. Did you know that she was going to do that? Or no, it was an absolute surprise. <laughs> in the way over, she was like, I was surprised. And as she described it, she's like, I made a dessert. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And she's like, yeah, it's a dessert inspired by a famous recipe I just learned about on a podcast. And I was like, there's no way. <laughs> but yeah, there was a way. That's and amazing. I had some for dinner tonight. You did okay, and what is your assessment? It's delicious. It is so good. The thing is, like, I it's not that I don't like sugar. It's just I eat it, and then right after, my body starts to shut down because I it's just like I I spike and then I crash. But but sex in a pan is so light. Yeah, but it's still just pure sugar. I guess you're. Calibration for sugar. It's just, it's just, it's just like it's whipped, it's whipped cream cheese and a little bit of chocolate pudding and some some graham cracker or some I I forget what the crust is, but it's so fucking good, man. Pecan or graham cracker. Yeah, yeah, I could eat the whole fucking thing. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not good, but it is sugar. So are you crashing now, like right before the podcast? Really? I was like while I was eating it. Fireworks are going off in my head. I was super <laughs> excited to record this episode. Yeah. And then we hit record, and I feel it leaving my body. Oh, no, Tony. We we, we have to introduce you to coffee. Oh, yeah, but that's just a different... Can you... Like... But everyone brought dessert to this Eurovision party. So I have sex in a pan, black forest cake, cannolis. I was looking through my fridge today to see what leftovers I could eat for dinner. And it was all desserts. You're just trying to get me to come to Ottawa, eh? Yeah. I have an empty room, a spare bed, <laughs> a cat that needs to be pet, and a oh. fridge full of desserts. Dude, I'm on the way. I just sent my letter of resignation. <laughs> Can you and I like get together one day and like, you know, like clear our calendars and then we'll just get a coffee and we'll have a coffee together and play Rocket League? <laughs> <laughs> if it means this much to you, I will do it. Really? Okay. But I just don't know why. Yeah, because we could get a like you know we could get an iced coffee from Starbucks or Ruse. It's not like I haven't had them. It's just they just don't do anything for me. I don't know. I just don't have I, that thing. I just wonder if a caffeinated Tony is like that much more acerbic. Maybe for thirty minutes until I crash. I don't crash after coffee. I get chronic anxiety. <laughs> yeah, but that's because. You get withdrawal if you don't have it. Yeah, you're saying I don't give myself an opportunity to crash. When was the last time you had coffee? Uh, actually, this morning. I'm trying to cut cut down on coffee. Right. See, that's the thing. Everyone who is an avid coffee drinker knows they drink too much coffee. So how's your life, Tony? It's good. I had a great weekend. Uh, we did the Eurovision party. Watch the Leafs lose. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry about that. I, I, yeah. I tried to console you afterwards, but you thought I was being a big phony. 
<laughs> well, I was in the room and my dad was watching. I heard him grunt several times. Yeah, that's funny because when I, well, the first thing you said is, sorry to hear that the leaf's lost. And I was surprised that you even knew that happened. So I, I asked you and you were like, I watched it with my dad. And I immediately <laughs> knew that was partially a lie. <laughs> I was like, you didn't watch it with your dad. And then the truth came out. You're like, well, you, I was in the room. Yeah, I heard him grunt. They had two separate goal opportunities that weren't acknowledged. The roofing yeah. was terrible, Joe. I can't relive that game right now. Sorry. It was devastating. Yeah. Game seven. But yeah, so that was a good day. It was super busy. And then the next day, I actually went to a comedy show with our producer, Michael. Oh my God, your life is packed. Yeah. So wh where was the comedy show? Like a convention or like a conference hall in a hotel. So it's super accessible. Hold on a minute. I didn't know there was a fucking accessible comedy club. I was going to Absolute all those years in Little Italy. There wasn't. And then they moved Yuck Yucks to a new venue because the old one shut down. And the new venue is fully accessible. So the new venue is like is like a Best Western lobby? Basically. Okay. And w so when you went, like, was it a full house COVID? It was pretty full, yeah. And and who are the comics? It was a couple of local comedians. They did a, a few sets of, like, short sets. And then there was a back-and-forth roast battle between different comedians. Are there any names that I would know? No, I don't think so. They're all very, very local. Do you know how inaccessible comedy is for some reason? It seems like all comedy clubs have to be in a basement somewhere. Yeah, they have. it has to be an absolute shithole venue. Yeah. Like uh, the kind of place where like, you either host comics or like the greasiest, like a hybrid greasy spoon restaurant. I guess because for so long, comedy was like this underground thing that was kind of taboo, right? Comedians were like talking about the world upstairs. And I think that's an artifact of that. But this new venue is fully accessible. I hope it stays there for a long time, but it opens up the doors to many a comedy night. You're probably right. This idea that particular venues must look explicitly like they are not for children. Right. Like, it makes sense. And that, that they're not for, like, the mainstream. Right. So uh, a stand-up club should look derivative of a nightclub or a strip club. Yeah. You know? That's quite um, disappointing, actually, that that is kind of the, the trope. Yeah. Although, to be fair, as, as awesome as it was to be able to go to an accessible comedy venue, it didn't feel like the right venue for it. Like it felt like uh, watching comedy at a high school gymnasium or something? Yeah, not quite. And it still had that like dark room ambiance. Um, everyone had a table. But I guess I've just kind of come, gotten used to these like dingy underground club scenes. Right. And so that's kind of what I expect. And instead there's like a, it's almost like a wedding reception. Oh, yeah. Or like a talent show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm not complaining because I love being able to go to comedy and hopefully we'll just keep getting to go over now. So do you think that full-on auditoriums are overkill when it comes to comedy? 
No, I think that's also a good venue, but I wouldn't want to be like up in Noah's place. For sure. I think, I think comedy clubs are also partly the way they are because that kind of venue fosters a degree of intimacy. Yeah. Because when you go to an auditorium, like the acoustics are meant for like a full band yeah. and like a variety of different talents all performing like in some synergistic fashion. But when you just have a comic up there, it's kind of, uh, of course it can, it can convey a grandiosity that is equal to the scope of the person's talent. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you kind of want to feel like you're in the same room as them right. because then otherwise it can feel very similar to just watching them on a screen. Yeah. I remember we saw Bill Burr years ago in 2015 at the Ottawa Blues Fest. And yeah. I we didn't pay, by the way. We snuck in. Why are you out in ourselves? Oh. oh, sorry. We totally paid. We, we totally paid, dude. <laughs> are you just bragging? What is the point of that? What, what are you getting out of this? Are you trying to brag that we did some cool shit? Hey girl, I snuck into a comedy show. Well, no, this is like this is the this is a podcast about disability, and people should know that occasionally, like condescension leads to, you know, people just assuming that we've paid for things or that we are law-abiding citizens. We've broken the law before, ladies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Have you ever stolen anything? I stole a brick of cheese once when I was drunk from a, a uh, brick of cheese. Keep that one to yourself. All That's right. more embarrassing than saying no. You asked. <laughs> Tell me the story. You stole a brick of cheese? There's no story. You're just like star- starving and like this marble looks delicious. I, yeah, I was in the expensive cheese aisle and I was like, you know what? This is mine. And that's all. And then you just ate a brick of cheese? <laughs> no. I cut it up and ate it over time like a human. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so yeah, about that at, at Bill Burr. Yeah, at Bill Burr it was kind of cool because we were close to the stage, and because it was like an outdoor venue, but the stage was small, mm-hmm. and it was like a it was a fenced off area, and there were probably at least like a hundred people there. I would say, would you say more than that, or about a hundred? Oh, more. I would say. Really? Okay. There was something about it though that did that did evoke the intimacy of a smaller comedy club. It and wasn't maybe, packed. Yeah. It wasn't like seven PM though. No, it was like five thirty. Yeah. It was like dinner time. You brought a brick of cheese, I remember. <laughs> Bill wasn't in a rush. Maybe that was part of it. Like he was just sort of enjoying the lack of pressure, I suppose. And it was a beautiful day. Wasn't trying to get it done. Yeah. And so he was just talking to like his audience for a majority of the time. And he's a huge hockey fan. So he just sort of veered into hockey territory for like 35 minutes. And that's how you know that he's talented because he was making hockey jokes and I was laughing. But you watch hockey with your dad. (laughs) Sometimes I glance back at the TV in order to make my dad feel like there's someone else in the room with them. So charitable. (laughs) Well, I yeah, he knows I don't like hockey, though. Sorry, Dad. I like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I don't know, like, if I didn't watch hockey as a kid growing up, I don't know if I'd get into it in my adult life. I think for me, it's like this, there's like a nostalgia, but there's like a fan loyalty thing going on, too. 
it's hard to say. I don't know. I love it now, but I think we've we might have talked about this before, but sports fandom in my mind is relative to the audience's appreciation for the skill involved in like achieving the feats that are on display, which sounds incredibly obvious, but I don't really know what it takes to skate down an ice rink and put a small puck inside of a relatively small goal with a big, large padded man trying to stop you also on ice skates. But you know you couldn't do it. Well, but I can't do a lot of things, so it's not like I have much of a fucking reference. But even if you're (laughs) able-bodied. Well, my dad was like a skater, and he was also a runner, like before running was really a popular pastime. And so he has a certain physicality about him, even as an 80-year-old man. So you just feel like it's unrelatable to you? No, I was about to say that if I were able-bodied, I would probably be more involved in hockey. Interesting. I think if I was able-bodied, I'd be into basketball. But I don't care about basketball for some reason as a disabled person. Mm, But I just know that like, my biological brother, my older brother, is into basketball. So I think if I was able-bodied, I would hang out with him, got into basketball, and played basketball more. And I, I don't want to be like overly reductionist or something, but I feel like a lot of men outsource their masculinity toward their favorite sport. So it's like their sports fandom and the integrity of their knowledge of said sport is is directly correlated with their manhood. Well, then what about women who like sports? That's an interesting one. Okay, perhaps I am full of shit. But a lot of like ladies who are really into sports like play the sport themselves as well, or they have parents who are avid sports fans. So probably also the same things that pull them into the fray. But I do think, I do think there is a correlation between like manliness and one's association with sport. Because if you're a guy and you don't identify as a sports fan, like there's a whole like whack of dudes who will be like, Oh really? You don't like sports? What do you like? Gymnastics? Like, oh, you don't like sports? What do you do? Like, it's it's literally that simple. There is that, but I don't, I don't think that's cause and effect. Like, I get what you're saying, but... Like, sports for men are, like, demonstrations of mastery of a physical nature. But so is, like, there are so many ways that can manifest. That can be... Yeah. I was just watching this guy who's, like, an origami wizard. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's... It's just a different, you're using different skills, right? Yeah, I should stress, I'm not even necessarily talking about negative masculine traits or whatever. The whole point I was trying to make is that there are things for which I have a sport-like fascination, but people would not consider it a sport, but I treat it as such. What's in your cup right now? Coca-Cola? You said it was club soda. (laughs) Why did you lie? (laughs) Because you were going to tease me. I don't even understand. Because it's sugar? No, it's not sugar. It's coffee. It is coffee. <laughs> so you lied twice. <laughs> not only did you say, I didn't have coffee 
this afternoon. I haven't had it since this morning. I'm trying to cut down on my coffee intake. Then I was like, what is in your cup? You're like club soda. And I just believed you because shame on me. Why do I trust you? <laughs> and then I see it while you're talking about sports and machismo. And you're like drinking clearly a black liquid. And so I ask you again, trying to give you a chance to own up, and you lie again. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Sorry, dude. I just, yeah, you know, like, because I thought it would be funny if I said, I haven't had much coffee today, and then I literally went and grabbed a mug of coffee and took a sip. But you didn't notice that it was coffee, so I just let it go. <laughs> that is such a lie again. <laughs> Anyway, what the hell was I saying about sports? It doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think we're off the rails. Do you think I should spend two thousand dollars on a robot vacuum? Uh I think it would be really cool if you owned a robot vacuum. And I think it's kind of a practical sort of a consideration for a disabled person who can't really do miscellaneous cleanup chores around your own place. I think it would probably alleviate some kind of burden on your attendant care program. And I think it's also fucking cool. And I like when you have cool gadgets that make your life easier. So yes, I think you should spend three grand on a fucking robot vacuum. I honestly can't believe you said that. In my mind, when I asked you, yeah, you were like, no, that's too much money. Because you are the most frugal man I've ever met. But I'm only frugal toward myself. Oh, because it's my money? What do you mean? No, I mean... How do I mean this? I will spend three grand on a graphics card, okay? And because I love video games and they like consume a lot of my mental real estate or more of my mental real estate than I would usually admit if I didn't have a podcast and I like wasn't in the business of just sort of sharing my life with people on a strange medium. So I would spend three grand on a graphics card and I could justify it till the cows come home. And I think you should spend three grand on a robot vacuum because it's cool and because it has a ton of practical applications. And I just like the idea of you being the guy with the really expensive and really cool robot vacuum. And plus, like, it's part of your whole shtick, to be honest. It's with very you. on brand for me. I appreciate that. It is. Exactly. Because when I come to you and I'm like, I have a disabled problem. You, you have like six dozen pieces of equipment or resources or uh, people to talk to who have encountered the same problem. Or like you've been reading the manual about how like foot pedals are constructed and you're thinking about automating some piece of that mechanism so that you don't have to lower your foot pedal with the aid of a stupid attendant. And so like I, I do think that you should continually... Uh, incorporate new technology into your life because i don't think you're a passive consumer of technology i think you leverage it to the fullest fucking extent of its possible usages if you were like 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 a cell phone obsessive uh like a gadget type person who is like gee man should i buy the iphone 13 i'd be like no you don't fucking need the iphone 13 no i'm very surprised but also pleasantly surprised because I was fully expecting you to talk me out of it and you were just a straight yes right away. For sure, yeah. The other thing is too is that like 
you know, the $3,000 graphics card for me, a lot of times, like, you know, video games are a way for me to kind of like issue other bigger uh, decisions or projects or things that maybe I should be pursuing a little bit more aggressively in my own life. So like when I come to you and I'm like, hey, Tony, should I buy, you know, the RTX 4080 so I can play The Witcher 3 at 300 frames per second? I always say no. Yeah, you'll say no. But it's for the same reason that I say yes to you for the fucking robot vacuum. I say no because I think if you get a better graphics card, it's just delaying your time to move to Ottawa. Well, you're yeah, gonna but... get into a new video game, and you're yeah. like, "I'm happy now. I don't <laughs> need to move back to Ottawa. I have <laughs> Spider-Man Eight. Yeah, Spider-Man Eight. That's gonna be a good one, though. <laughs> yeah, you can play it here. Well, I'm glad you said that. I've been thinking about these robot vacuums for quite a while now, and when I make a decision like this about a purchase, I'm not very impulsive. Like I've thought about these robot vacuums for probably six to eight months now researching them an embarrassing amount. I know probably everything there is to know about robot vacuums. I've read vacuum professional reviews on like how much they suck or don't suck. (laughs) To the point where last Black Friday, I waffled on one all day and then eventually decided to buy it. And as soon as I hit checkout, it went all the slime and sold out. And I've been regretting it ever since. And I've just been thinking about it more and more. Um, but yeah, so I'm very surprised that you told me to buy it. But I was very happy because I'd already bought it. The wonderful. Can you take some selfies with it? With a robot vacuum? That will be the saddest no, okay, you're going to have some moldy desserts in your fridge in the next couple of weeks because you're not uh, irresponsible with sugar consumption. So yeah. can you just spill them on the floor and then let the robot clean it up <laughs> and record the video? I will do that, yes. <laughs> what was the, uh, what did you say you had? You had sex in a pan and some strudel or something? Cannolis, because I was representing Italy. So I had cannolis, arancini, amaretto, San Pellegrino. San Pellegrino's a soft drink. Yeah, but you can mix alcohol in it. Oh, you had a booze party. That's fun. So yeah, you should definitely like throw some uh, of that dessert on the ground. Yeah, there's black forest cake as well because someone represented Germany. Dang. But I literally had to choose between the cannolis, the black forest cake, and the sex in the pan, and it shows sex in the pan. I'll tell my mom. Yeah. She'll be very happy. It was delicious and inspired by her. Sorry I lied to you about the coffee, Tony. No, you're not. You're sorry you got caught. <laughs> today, today, I apologized to my coworker for bumping him during a Rocket League play, and he said to me, jokingly, but in a very serious dad voice, he's like, Sorry doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> we all died laughing. That's a story that maybe our listeners can't appreciate, but whatever. Yeah, I appreciate it. So you want to talk about some short films for a little while, Tony? I guess. Okay, so <clears throat> you had asked me if we could watch some something short this week because you didn't have the bandwidth for a full film. Yeah. And so I thought in I in my head I thought, you know what? Like we for all the research that we've done into 
like known uh, disabled media entities. I haven't really done a lot of just free form Googling for YouTube content, for example, about disability. And so I just YouTubed a disability short film and it came up with this like Argentinian animated feature that was actually nominated for best short film at the 2019 Academy Awards. And it was this movie called Ian. Although the YouTube title is not Ian. It's like a disabled man in a park makes his boyfriends like him. Like it's a very verbose it's basically the synopsis is the title. So uh, I watched this video by myself once, and then I watched it again with you. And we didn't talk about it afterwards. Um, but I have a few points about it that I think might actually be relevant. What did you think of Ian, Tony? Well, maybe what is Ian? Like you said, you described it in the title of the YouTube video. It's it's a Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's a short film about a young boy who... Uh, goes to the park every day with his mother and the children are all out playing uh, during recess and this young boy is in a wheelchair and he wants to join the children in their recess but he can't get beyond the the fence. But I don't even, did it show that he was in a wheelchair initially? I remember the way, maybe I just misremembered it, but in my mind, you don't even realize he's in a wheelchair at first until he gets like disassembled and sucked through the fence back into his wheelchair. Well, basically, so yeah. So at first, he's just sort of watching these these children play, and you you sort of think he's among them. But then after a while, you realize that he's behind the fence in a kind of stroller slash wheelchair, like a very generic mobility aid. And there's like an adult person's hands, like holding the handles of the chair and um you realize that he's kind of daydreaming about being amongst these children yeah and so the movie is about this little boy uh gaining the willpower to assert himself among his peers and play with them during recess and uh, you're probably thinking you know why did two grown men like 34 33 34 years of age sit down and watch this film but I don't know, this movie did make me think about a couple of things. What did you think, Tony? I think it was actually really good. Um, there were a couple of things that I did like, but overall, I thought the, um, the way that it handled this kid wanting to be in the playground, feeling like he was there, and then some moment like kind of breaks and the reality kind of shatters where he realizes that this is a dream because if he was actually in the playground with these kids, it was almost like in those like simulations where something is slightly off and then the people around you start to realize that you're a simulation and then the whole thing breaks. That's kind of what it felt like. Like he was playing with these kids and then he would move his hand differently and he would kind of get self-conscious and then the whole illusion shatters in his mind. And right. then he gets like pulled through the fence. And what I found interesting was like the art direction was really cool because it, it was almost like Lego paper mache. Yeah. Um, so each character was kind of composed of these little individual particles. Yeah. Or they looked like actual like voxels, like little cubes. 
And occasionally our main character, his voxels would separate and he would get sucked through the fence back into his wheelchair. And it would make him sad because he would realize then I was just daydreaming. And I've been in that situation before where I've gone so deep into a daydream that I eventually have to pull myself out of it and be like, oh, damn, yeah, that's not even close to real. For sure, yeah. I I mean, like, I've definitely experienced, like, when I was a kid, there were times when I obviously couldn't participate in gym, or there were periods throughout the year where my teachers didn't think I was safe, like, going outside for recess. So I would end up, like, asking a friend of mine to, like, stay in with me to play. And there would be stretches of time especially after like a fresh snowfall or depending on the season like everyone would want to go outside but it wasn't advisable for me to go you know maybe my ssp wasn't available for that period and so they didn't want me walking around with a like a a backwards k walker on fucking sheets of ice in the winter time so i would like stay in like with the fucking teacher and literally like play chess or like play board games or something yeah And I'm pretty sure this is like a relatively standard experience for any like wheelie with a a special education program who like was integrated into the public school system. But and yeah, so the flip side of that coin, whenever we did participate in sports or electives where my walker was actually more of an asset or, you know, like there was a, there was a sled or some kind of equipment where I could actually go out into the snow with people or particularly if we did anything like aqua- aquatic, like there were winter and summer electives and both of them involved swimming. I could go swimming every time and I fucking loved it. I love the water because I could stand upright in the water and, you know, my peers would see me in a different context. They'd be like, yeah. I didn't even know Jamie could fucking swim. This is pretty cool. And then they, you know, like throw noodles and floaters at me so yeah like i definitely understand this this kind of like longing to be included and i I shouldn't say it was not my experience to be chronically excluded from primary school experiences or even or even recess like i still sort of felt like i was among my peers there was only the odd time where i really felt alienated but i think i could ascribe a lot of that to just like growing up in a small town and the normalization of being the biggest disabled fish in the pond. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm sure you know, I'm sure you've had a parallel experience. Yeah. Um, also had to stay inside a lot based on the weather or the inaccessibility of the playground, or it was like a 15 minute recess and I had to put on all these layers to go outside. So it would actually take more time to just get dressed, so I just stay inside. Did you ever um, like ask a crush to stay in with you? There was one time when I was racing to get to the playground, and we had like different playgrounds around the school. There was the one for like kindergarten, grade three. Then there was like grade three to grade six, and then there was grade six to grade eight. And I went through the kindergarten grade three playground to get to mine. And we were hanging out together, me and this crush I had. And I was like going quickly because I wanted to go see our friends in our playground. And a teacher shouted at me, slow down. And so I slowed down 
and I got to the end of the playground and then sped back up. And then I meet my friends. We start hanging out for a few seconds. And then a teacher comes over and goes, I'm giving you detention. And I was like, for what? And she's like, for speeding. I was like, I slowed down. She's like, well, you were still going fast. And then you sped back up. And in my mind, like, it was the same as running. And nobody was getting in trouble for running. People were allowed to run. And the crush I was with was running with me. Uh-huh. So I got detention. I I was such a like dirty two shoes that I me too. started crying when she handed me the detention slip. Yeah. I was like, this is not my identity. I don't identify as the kid who gets detention. Like I, I was visibly upset. So yeah. this girl acted out on purpose to get detention so that we could be in detention together. And it was the coolest thing ever. I want to see this short film. <laughs> I want to see you guys fucking running in a field somewhere and then getting halted by some angry Catholic school teacher. That was the first time I got detention for speeding. And then the second time was I was in a group with my friends. We were in a very secluded part of the playground. And I was showing off how I could do donuts in my wheelchair. Oh, thank God. And I found a speed of, or I found a patch of ice and I was doing donuts on this patch of ice and the teacher handed me detention and it just said speeding on ice. <laughs> that's a fucking badge of honor. First of all, that sounds rid- ridiculous. That makes you sound like one of the cool kids in like Greece or something, you like with the motorcycle in the high school parking lot, <laughs> like, like revving around Olivia Newton-John. That's not a detention slip you could write for an able-bodied person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, top of that, uh, class asshole. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. But it was still devastating. That one didn't hit me as much because I was in like grade seven. So I was already, you know, trying to be cool and getting detention was like a badge of honor. Yeah. Did you ever have someone uh, stay inside with you? When you were stuck inside? Oh, yeah, all the time, yeah. My buddy Franco used to stay inside with me all the time. That's awesome. I, I had a couple couple crushes that would stay inside. I remember in grade two. I remember her name, too. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, it's great. I loved going to pick up the milk. We used to have... Is that a euphemism? What does that mean? <laughs> no. We used to have a milk program. What? Is this not a common thing? You don't going have to pick program? up the milk? If you don't know what I'm talking We're, about already. Did you go to school you, on a farm? Like, what is going on? I think it was like um, a program for underprivileged schools because it was a small town and a lot of kids couldn't afford healthy food. So one of the things you could do is sign up for milk. And you could, at the beginning of the month, you check off how many days you want milk, how many milks you want, if you want <laughs> vanilla milk or chocolate milk. Oh, my God. And then every lunch break, someone got represented to go and pick up the, the class's milk. And <laughs> so you were the milkman? I was the milkman. And I loved it because I could carry more milk than everyone else. Everyone else had to go in pairs, and I could just, go and carry back a crate of milk no big deal <laughs> it'd be funny like if your chair had udders and you just like just 
<laughs> drive by and people yeah. squeeze the udder. And... Sometimes I dr- dress up as a cow on milk day. <laughs> I, I honestly think you would, though. <laughs> you would do that. You didn't have milk day? No, we didn't have milk day. You we had... Did you have a cafeteria in elementary school? Not in elementary school, no. We we would have like we'd have pizza days where they just put a bunch of little Caesars in the gym like every third Friday or something. I don't think we had that. I just remember milk day. And I was still chocolate milks and the cool kids got two milks because they could afford two. Right. How many milks did you get? I just got one. But you were the milkman. But I was the milkman. But that was a privilege. <laughs> that is just the highest honor to be selected as milkman. Did you ever spill the milk? I never once spilled the milk. So what? how can we tie all this up together in a bow? Well, I didn't cry over spilt milk, but this kid did cry when he didn't feel included mm-hmm. in the playground with the other kids. Yep. Who do you think is the target audience for this film? Yeah, I was trying to wonder that. The music is very tacky, in my opinion. Like it's incredibly tacky. It's it's like they just went on some stock music site and searched inspirational. There isn't any. There are no words in this short. It's just a lot of child actor grunts. Yep, but that 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 can go further than dialogue. Oh, I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. I like that. I liked the stylistic approach visually. Um, the music I didn't really enjoy. I think the audience was not disabled people. So I read a little bit about the wider context of the short. And I, apparently it's um, it was commissioned or the project was started by the mother of a boy with cerebral palsy who noticed that her son was really struggling with uh, basically integrating with his able-bodied peers um, at school. And so she wanted to create a nice little animated short that would convey the importance of inclusion. I, when you kind of view it through that end, it's sort of sweet because it's kind of like a little yeah bit of affection between mother and son. It actually makes me feel like a bit of a dick. <laughs> uh, but I would agree with you that it is kind of like quite hokey. While it does sort of succeed in capturing that sort of, you know, pre-adolescent yearning for camaraderie as a disabled person. Yeah. It's still like the end of the short is like the boy gets really fed up with just daydreaming about playing with the kids. So he decides to assert himself, you know, like the on the second day when his mother is wheeling him away from the park, he like puts his hand on his manual chair wheels and he's like, no mom. And he like slams on his manual chair brake, which they try to make look quite dramatic and assertive. And he like works really hard to turn his chair toward the playground and is like, these kids will notice me. And then of course they all kind of slowly walk over to him and the the fence around the playground dissolves and they all start playing together. Here's the thing. Like, I think that the most important element of the early development of a disabled child is the normalization of disability amongst like able-bodied peers. Uh, And I don't know how many disabled people would disagree with me, 
But I, I really think that it's like really necessary for proper socialization to for your peers to be desensitized to disability to some extent, not necessarily unaware of it or, you know, uh, hand waving over it, but it shouldn't be abnormal for Jamie to be playing at recess with his friends because I would credit all of my attributes that could be considered well-adjusted. <laughs> you know, my wider social circle is responsible for that. All of the ways in which my friends have included me over the years have helped me greatly cope with life. <laughs> and I don't think I would have had that to the extent that I did if I wasn't uh, integrated into the public school system and I didn't have SSPs who pushed for me to attend gym class and go outside and, you know, like be in the world. And, uh, and so that's not to say that those disabled kids who took other avenues were failed in some way, but it's probably a lot harder. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to navigate that really. I think inclusion is fucking important. And I like this short kind of gets at that, you know, for a disabled child at a very, very young age. Uh, and it's really important and pretty key that his mother saw this and decided to make a piece of artwork emblematic of it. And I think the way it's approached is really cool. The way that it uses the metaphor of like daydreaming through the fence in this sort of like metaphysical way. Yeah. It's really cool because it does sometimes feel like that. I've definitely been in daydreams where I'm fully just playing out my day as an able-bodied person. Yeah. And it really does feel like you have to like flick a switch and come back to reality sometimes and they handled that really well the music again was a bit jarring for me because it did feel a little hokey but i think to the wider audience that is probably reflective of how they were feeling while watching it or it's playing to certain expectations right you know the opening music for nathan for you like that big band melodramatic like da na na da na na da na 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 it's like you're climbing mount everest or something but it's just like nathan fielder yeah <laughs> and that's the music that was uh made for this film and so it it is super distracting in that sense it didn't really distract me until maybe two-thirds of the way through when he was having his rocky moment of slamming the brakes on his chair and montaging his way through the fence because mm -hmm. that part was the climax but also maybe landed with me the least because when he's like racing back at the fence I didn't really know what the motivation was like is he trying to break through the fence is he trying to hurt himself is he just really sad is he really motivated is he trying to overcome this obstacle or is he just like succumbing to it and so i was listening to the music as a cue there and the music was very hopeful and inspirational but again like a little too much one thing that i liked is it didn't portray the disabled character as like necessarily precocious no. all he wanted to do was like go into the playground yeah and he looked at yeah so you know the problem of getting 
past the fence. It did. It didn't come up with any kind of convoluted or overly elaborate imagery of him like climbing over or like you know conquering the barrier. It was literally that he was eventually just among his peers because he wanted to be there. Do you relate to this movie as an adult? Like, have you ever felt something similar? Not exclusion, because I think we both agree neither one of us have really felt excluded, but it doesn't necessarily mean there haven't been instances where I've wished I could be, I could participate more. I've watched my friends at like uh, field houses, like for uh, elective basketball or soccer. Yeah. And I always get vicarious sort of like urges to participate when I'm watching them because I know the thrill and release of endorphins that comes from cardio and competition. And I watch them like the ease with which they move through the field or their like spatial awareness, how they never have to look at how they are placing their feet or what their body is doing to maintain momentum and balance. And I get really jealous because it's like, it's like clearly part of their, it's like innate to their physical grammar. And like my brain just like does not speak that language. I feel the same way, even just like watching, like when I'm with my friends and they're just playing frisbee in the park or spike ball or something. Yeah. And I'm just there watching. Yeah. I wish that I was also able to participate. Yeah. Like now that I'm an adult, it doesn't overwhelm me with sadness, but there is a yearning that still comes from that. For sure. Yeah. And I can get that release like that, like physical, I can get those endorphins from other things, Yeah, but I always have to build them up in my head as though they are more athletic or more meaningful than they must look to people watching me like struggle to fucking waddle down a path in a shitty K-walker that's designed for rehab and not actually for long-term or sustained movement. I sometimes feel the same way just watching a friend eat a burger. (laughs) We've talked about that. Like, you know, when people are going downstairs and they do this thing with their legs where they just like, they go like step, 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 like really quickly. Yeah. Like basically running. Yeah. I'm like, what are they? They turn into Richard Simmons momentarily and they just fly down the fucking stairs. And I'm like, you're not afraid of falling. Like, what is happening to you that you're not looking for railings or like checking your periphery? You're just. You're probably thinking about a bill you have to pay or what you're going to have for dinner, and you're just flying down these fucking stairs. Yeah. I'm so jealous of that. Like even just watching someone do the dishes, yeah. I just like to watch because I'm like, oh yeah, and then you move your hand over there and you put yourself on your, and it's just like there's something vicarious about being able to watch them do that. But I know when I'm watching someone do dishes, they probably think I'm just making sure they're doing a good job. I have the same sort of thing with like laundry when people, uh, when people like pull laundry out of the hamper and they do like quick motions and suddenly everything's folded and and ready. And they, they do like a dozen articles of clothing in five minutes while having like an advanced conversation with you and like checking their phone. It's like those robots in star wars that have multiple limbs and they're just like doing eight things at the same time yeah but all choreographed properly very jealous of all that 
sometimes when I think about food prep and the prospect of just cutting a raw vegetable, chop, 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 and going around you, or just slicing through a whole cucumber in half a second. Yeah. And then they just like, they cup it up in their hands, like fully pronated or supinated, I guess is what it is. And they just throw it in the pan and then they get like 10 other ingredients and they're like prepping it while thinking about all these other different things and then coordinating, coordinating everything in a timely fashion. I'm just like, man, I'll never be able bodied. (laughs) You've set the bar too high. Yeah. So yeah, I've totally been there before. Uh, I have one last note for this film. I do not like the the generic element of the disability. And when I say when I say that it's generic, I mean that the the subject of this film is supposed to be a boy with cerebral palsy, but his animated avatar is just sort of like a young boy without any visible disability who's also sitting in a wheelchair that isn't really like committed to the idea of being a wheelchair. It's like a stroller that is like has black leather. So it's not it's not a baby stroller, but it's not a wheelchair. And I think the reason they did this is because they didn't want to commit to any amount of specificity in the portrait of disability. They wanted anyone with mobility issues to watch it and be able to project themselves onto the avatar who might be disabled. And I appreciate that. But the, also there's a part of me that wants to see like what like how animators would animate disability, like somebody with cerebral palsy, like what it would look like to motion capture, like a child with CP who was crawling. I don't think they had the budget for motion capture. I know. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But you you know what I'm talking about? Like I, I recently watched Turning Red and there's all kinds of little details about the protagonist's life uh, in that film that you've never seen in animation before. Uh, because it's 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 a very specific, like there's a high degree of authorship to that film. It's it's very autobiographical, and so there's a bunch of little uh, details about like the Greater Toronto area and about like the custom of the main character's uh, culture of origin, and so it would be nice to see that in a disabled context. Like even the other kids, the able-bodied kids didn't really have any identifying features. They were all all just kind of kids. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe it would have been hard to do that because part of the motivation is for those scenes, especially at the beginning, where the disabled character is participating in his dreams. You're almost not even supposed to be able to tell the difference. Between him and the other kids in in the playground right yeah like like you're supposed to realize that he's disabled yeah eventually yeah i get that but i said like i want to see because do you think andy circus could play you in a movie andy circus is pretty versatile or rather the the team of animators that work with andy circus are very versatile so yes but I wouldn't want to see whatever he's doing in the mocap suit in order to be me, because I'm sure it would be highly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> so you want someone to motion capture a disabled movement? Didn't I tell you that, that they, they motion captured me before my surgery in 2001? 
They put the, I went to like a gate lab facility. Is this real? Yeah. In uh, like the Minnesota hospital. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> the hospital of Minnesota. I went to a gate lab wing or something of the hospital and they put those little like yellow balls on each of my limbs and they actually like like got a three-dimensional portrait of my walk like what while i was in a k-walker and then they used that animation to decide how to cut me open and like fix me surgically really yeah did they do an after shot no so it was just for the surgeons yeah Interesting. That's cool, right? Yeah. I wonder if that animation still exists. I wonder how if we could track it down. It's if it, yeah, because that was circa like 2002. Yeah, we did motion capture in my university program in like 2010, Mm -hmm. and it was even rudimentary then, for sure. Huh. But yeah, overall, what do you think of this short? I related to it quite a bit and I appreciate its motivation for being, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd ask any able-bodied person to watch it or I'm not sure if I could recommend it to people. I don't know. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I feel the same way. Like it's, it's nice. I really liked it, but I'll probably just keep it to myself. <laughs> yeah. Only because of the implication associated with recommending it, right? Like if you tell someone to watch it, They're going to watch it being like, oh, like, is Jamie trying to tell me that he wants to be more included in the playground? Is he (laughs) trying to tell me that, like, this is how he feels or maybe just how he felt? Or I wonder, because, yeah, like, the the message is really good, but I think it's so abstract that it's kind of hard to make it relatable to an able-bodied person without like an ongoing discussion with them. Like maybe I would watch it with someone and sort of explain what I like and don't like about it. I think I would show it to a great, a class of, of children of grade three students. Yeah. Like that's what it, it's, it's basically teaching material for primary school kids. Yeah. And even then I could see a lot of them just sort of rolling their eyes at it potentially. Are those Legos? Yeah. Is this Minecraft? Hmm. Okay. Well, For some reason, you chose two shorts this week. So do you want to cover the second one? Okay. Do you want to save the second one for another time? Talk to you. Yeah, let's play Wheel Breakers. Oh, damn. I didn't even have a wheel breaker. What? I didn't think we'd get here. You got a fridge full of sex in a pan? You don't even have a fucking wheel breaker for me? Oh, we'll find a wheel breaker for you. Wheel breakers. You first. All right. So you get to be 100% able-bodied. 100%? 100%. Not 75, not 92, 100%. Yeah. Maybe every once in a while you get a cramp in your your left knee. How big of a cramp? Like it's like a Charlie horse. How long does it last? 1.3 seconds. Okay. Yeah, it only comes up when you're doing, um, what's that called? CrossFit. Oh, but I can do soul cycle? Yeah, you you can, yeah. Okay. So you get to be 100% able-bodied, but at least once a month, you have to steal candy from a baby, and you can't get caught. The baby's going to tell on me? No, but like it's pretty hard to pull off covertly. I don't think it would be hard. I think I would just go 
to a candy store. There's no such thing as unsupervised children. I think I would just go to a candy store. Yeah. And make small talk with the baby. Get him on my good side. <laughs> like, hey, baby, how you doing? And, you know, play peekaboo and, like, wiggle his toes or whatever. And he'll be laughing. And then I'll be like, how old is he? Wow, that's, he looks just like you. And I'll get that whole conversation going. Okay. And because they're in a candy store, you know he's going to have at least a lollipop in his hand. Because the mom came in there. He was crying. And so she got him a lollipop. She's like, I'm going to open it now. You can have it now. It's like a candy soother. So I'll have this secret conversation with the baby. And you're right. He's going to cry as soon as I steal the candy. I think it would be hard to do it and not get caught. Like, I don't think I would get better at it over time. Maybe I would. But I'd have to plan it out. So it wouldn't really just be like a once a month thing. Like it would take me a couple of days at the beginning to be like, all right, let me go to the candy store today. Hopefully there's a good easily stolen from baby to steal from. So that would be difficult. I can feel myself crashing from the sugar. Yeah, I can see it. It's insane. I saw you crash earlier when you tilted your chair back. I don't know how people do this. <laughs> yeah, how big of a piece did you have? Like three bites. I'm going to have to start stealing candy from a Tony so you can stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> I have all the sex in a pan, and I want to finish that. Then I have all these chocolate cakes, and I want to finish that. Then I have cannolis. I feel less bad about not finishing those because I bought them myself. Don't you have like a lady friend in your life who was who would gladly eat black forest cake? I actually tried, and she wouldn't take the cannolis because they were slightly soggy. Oh my goodness! Because they were a couple of days old. Are you dating uh, Jerry Seinfeld? I'm not dating anyone. <laughs> Almost got you. <laughs> um, all right, so. I think you shouldn't take this wheel breaker because if you steal the candy, you're also going to have to eat it and then you're just going to crash. You never said anything about eating it. <laughs> okay, you have to eat the candy that you steal from babies. Oh, yeah, no deal. <laughs> In my head, I was going to steal the candy from a baby and give it to another baby. <laughs> like a more deserving baby. <laughs> more deserving. Yeah. Are there such things as bad babies? Yeah, for sure. Where are they? You can see it in their eyes. Where where do the hood love babies hang out at Toys R Us? They all hang out at the same places. <laughs> you just have to get good at reading their facial cues. You can look at a baby and go, that's going to be a bad baby. <laughs> the good babies are at Wiggles and Giggles and the bad babies are at Wiggles and... I wanted you to finish the joke. I don't know where it's going. <laughs> Never mind. Like, I thought maybe there was like... I wanted you to come up with Bart Simpson's version of Wiggles and Giggles, but you could, you didn't. I don't even know what Wiggles and Giggles is. It's a place with a large ball pit that we used to go to in the late 90s. Huh. Tony, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you shouldn't eat sex in a pan. Yeah, it's also... I've been eating unhealthy for like three days. Like I had carbs. Oh, Wiggles and Piggles. No. Okay. It's rude to call them Piggles. 
it's fun to think about how I would steal candy from a baby. Because <laughs> I think I could do it. Yeah? Yeah, I think I could figure it out. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd want to. You'd have to somehow be offering an alternative to candy that was, like, better than candy. Maybe I would have a prop lollipop, also known as a lollipop. <laughs> Good one. And use the lollipop as, like, a bait and switch. So I'd, like, take the lollipop out of the hand and sleight of hand the lollipop in. I can't believe, I can't believe how many times you said lollipop. <laughs> oh my god, you're useless after sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a good look for me. No, not at all. I'm going to say deal. Okay. Or, no meal. Okay, your turn. Give me a sec. <laughs> I'm going to make you fully able-bodied, Jamie. 100% able-bodied. Cool. You're not even going to have cramps. If you get cramps, they're on your own volition. But I'm not enforcing cramps. But what I am enforcing from here on out is an absolute sugar-free diet forever. That's boring. Yeah, okay, fine. I'll do it. <laughs> you need to make it more interesting. Is that not good enough? Do I need a better one? Yeah, you do. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Can I splash some cold water on you? What if I made you able-bodied, but once a month, you have to steal a baby? <laughs> and put it where? <laughs> and put it where? <laughs> where do you normally put babies? I don't know. Like, steal a baby? I'd have, in 12 months, I'd have 12 babies. I'd have an orphanage. Like, that's, that's a terrible situation. So, no? <laughs> No. <laughs> okay, how about this? You get to be 100% able-bodied, but once a month, you have to get in your power chair that you formerly depended upon and drive it into the shins of a perfect stranger. Do you want me to ask you that? <laughs> no, you just answer it, then we'll call it a fucking night because you need to go to bed. No, I need to call with one for you. <laughs> Is this a fucking ego thing now? Yeah. Have you ever heard the Backstreet Boys song, The Call? Yeah, what I... I started singing it at work the other day, and my coworker had no idea what I was singing. And he was my age, and not weird. What if I made you fully able-bodied, <laughs> but you could only listen to boy bands for the rest of your life? Uh, that's fine. I, I don't mind boy bands. But that's it. I'm sorry, man, but it's like, they're really catchy songs. But you couldn't listen to any new music, any old music. If if anyone was like, hey, have you ever heard that song? And you're like, I want it that way. Yeah, I've heard that song. <laughs> you're like, no, I only know Backstreet Boys, One Direction, and Sync. That's fine. What about 98 Degrees? Are you just not music motivated? Is Our Lady, is Our Lady Peace a boy band? <laughs> no. Shit. What about girl bands? Spice Girls, etc. Girl bands, by definition, are not boy bands. <laughs> wow. That seems biased. <laughs> um, trying to stir the pot. Yeah, trying to, but <laughs> you're asleep. I forgot. Okay. Yeah, so so what's the deal? Like, does everyone know I'm I only listen to boy bands or do I keep it secret? Oh, you bragged about it. Really? I, okay. It's like you're, it's on your resume. 
It's really? that like at the <laughs> bottom where you have like personal interests, you've taken <laughs> everything out to just list all your favorite boy bands. Wait, so what's the downside? I, I just have I just have bad taste according to some people. No, you just won't be able to relate to those coworkers you were just speaking about. Oh, okay. I'm okay with that. That's fine. That's not good. I need a better one. <laughs> get to be 100% able-bodied, but your butt is always itchy. You get one more try, Tony. And uh, otherwise, we're ending the episode. Okay. My friends and I, on the weekend, were talking about the Queen and picturing various things that the Queen wears, various rituals that the Queen undergoes. The Queen or the Queen's Gambit? The Queen. Like the Queen of England. Oh, like the movie that came out with What's-Her-Face? No, like the actual Queen. Oh. And so... Why are we talking about the Queen? I'm going to make you fully able-bodied, but all women from here on out are going to look like the current Queen of England, and she's going to be wearing a Hello Kitty onesie. And so every person from now on that you see is all your guy friends and then the queen of england i I, I mean (laughs) what was it unclear (laughs) all right can i can i picture in my in my mind palace a woman who doesn't look like the queen no you forget what every woman looks like except the queen so you're just assuming that i that i don't like the queen Um, yes i am assuming that you don't find the queen attractive in a way that you would want to court marry and date her and i might be wrong am i wrong (laughs) so okay by the way if the queen listens to this i'm sorry wait i i am a saudi so i get to be 100 percent of a body but i have to be celibate no not at all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm sure life would be, in some sense, miserable. <laughs> I mean... Are you trying not to offend the queen? <laughs> I mean, of course, that would be quite a predicament. To offend the queen? Yeah, I would have to say wheel. Why? Because if, if I can't even, like, have fantasies about not the queen, then that sucks. But maybe you would just learn to find the queen attractive. I suppose... And eventually you'll get old enough where she will be. But what if I just don't like really subscribe to the notion of a, a constitutional monarchy anyway? Well, that is a very good question. Yeah. So then and that's just... why this is such a good real break. <laughs> so yeah, on the gra- on ideological grounds. <laughs> All right. Uh, no wheel. Anyway, I just want to say to you, Tony, have a good night's sleep. goodbye everyone that was it we're done we're done (laughs) bye bye